But this morning, I'm here to tell you that there's good news if you'll look for it. There is good news if you'll look for it. Starting today and for the next several weeks, we're going to be lifting our eyes up from the quicksand of all the negative things that would like to pull us down and suck us into an unescapable trap. We're going to lift our eyes to the Lord who, according to Psalm 121, is the source of our help as he stands beside us. So we're starting a new series called Stay Positive. Enough of the bad news. Stay positive. And we're going to talk about how and why we can go through challenging times such as we're facing with a positive outlook. I like what someone once said about this whole question of, you know, is a glass half empty or is a glass half full, that whole question. I like what I read this week somebody posted or somebody said, and it said it's not whether the glass is half empty or half full. The point is it's refillable. It's refillable. It's not in a permanent state. The glass can always be refilled. We can learn to look at life and face life with an optimistic outlook. We can learn to be optimists. Now, I want to clarify what optimism is and what optimism isn't. First, optimism is not a denial of reality. Rather, it's a mindset with which we learn to face reality. Denial of reality is not being optimistic. That's just being in denial, and that's not helpful to anybody. Two different things. Second, optimism is not blind faith. It's not just blindly looking ahead and saying, oh, everything's going to work out. It's not naive, wishful thinking that everything's going to turn out okay. It's, it's not that. So what is optimism? Optimism is confidence about the future or a successful outcome. We're confident about our future or about a successful outcome. And I'm not talking about the kind of confidence, you know, where we psych ourselves up. You ever do that? You psych yourself up and you're going to believe something. You're going to make yourself believe it. If I just think really hard and believe really hard, you ever do that? Anybody? We got one honest person. Jeff, you are the one honest person in this congregation. <laughs> All right. It, you know, it's, we're not talking about that. The kind of confidence we're talking about is it, 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 it doesn't come from refusing to face the truth about a situation. It comes from an unshakable source. It comes from God's promises, which, by the way, are backed by the character of God. That's the kind of confidence that enables us to have an optimistic outlook in any and all circumstances. We don't have a promise that all things will go our way, but we do have a promise that whatever circumstances may be, they can't stop God from working on our behalf. Whatever they are, they can't stop God from working our behalf. So this brings us to the second thing that optimism is. Optimism is the unwavering expectation that our loving God is working in every situation for our future good. I want to say that again because that's important. Optimism is the unwavering expectation 
that our loving God is working for us in every situation, working for our future good. And that's because of the promise that the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, this does not say all things are good. It does not say that all situations come from God. It does not say that bad things don't happen. It just means that when you love God, no matter what your situation, your situation is not bigger than God. It's not beyond his ability to work for your good, even in the midst of it, in the midst of the most terrible situations. He can still work through it. He can still work in the midst of it. You're surrounded by everything else. You're in quicksand, and you're being sucked down, and you're going fast. Even in the midst of that, God can work for your good. Once we learn to grasp hold of that truth, it breaks the power of fear that grips our lives because the fear has nothing to hold on to. It's like it's trying to climb a greased flagpole. It can't, fear can't get a grip. The negative thoughts that, uh, that, that, that come have nothing to hold on to because we know the truth that whatever the circumstances, God is bigger than it, and he is on our side, and he is working. There is no circumstance that the enemy can throw at you that can or will prevent God from working. Nothing. That's why if you're a believer, if you love God, you can go through life with an optimistic outlook even when bad things happen because we have this promise from God's word. So I want you to think about your life. Think about whatever challenging situation you're facing right now. Is there a situation that you're going through right now that maybe you don't see any way out, you don't see any good in it at all? And it may be the situation is completely no good. You know, a lot, a lot of times they are. Let me, ask you, let me ask you this way, though. What is it that keeps you awake at night? Do you have thoughts that keep running through your brain at night when you're trying to sleep and you can't get to sleep, but these things just keep, com keep bombarding your mind? Or what are the thoughts that occupy your mind throughout the day? What do you think about the most? Here's something that we all need to understand. Whatever consumes your mind controls your life. If it consumes your mind, it controls your life. If you have thoughts that are consuming your mind day and night, guess what? That is what's controlling your life right now. Your life is a reflection of your thoughts. That means if you're constantly consumed with thoughts about, let's say, you know, the, uh, a failing economy or the rise in the national debt or your personal credit card debt, and, and you know, everywhere you turn, you see, uh, you, you, you see prices going up. Your savings going down. That's what you're going to see. As you think about all these, these 
drastic financial situations and that, then, then everywhere you turn, that's what you're going to see. Prices going up, your savings going down, bills need to be paid that you don't have the money for. Your thoughts are being taken captive by the negative. And your life is going to move in the direction of your most dominant thoughts. And they are going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. They are going to continue to grow until you literally can't see anything else. What consumes your mind controls your life. You know, worry takes over, and the lens through which you will see, uh, and, and that's the lens through which you will see everything that happens. And that leads to misery. On the other hand, there's a good side to that. When you focus your thoughts on the promises that we have in God's word and on the character of God and on the nature of God, then the Holy Spirit and the things of God are what's going to be dominating your thoughts. That's why Paul writes, and it's not in your outline, but, but Paul writes in Philippians 4, he says, fix your thoughts. Fix your thoughts. Fasten your thoughts. In other words, Fix your thoughts and don't let them go off of this. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about the things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me and everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then, he says, then the peace of God Will, or the God of peace will be with you. When those kinds of things, those kinds of thoughts fill your mind, and then those kinds of things are going to be what dominates your life, things that are true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and so forth. And the God of peace will be with you, and he will displace the worry, the fear, the despair, the hopelessness of the world surrounding you. I like what Christine Kane said. Your posture will determine your perspective. Stand and look up. Posture will determine your, your perspective. Stand and look up. What we fill our minds with matters because the quality of your life will never exceed the quality of your thoughts. It really is true that we become what we think. So if you're continually feeding your mind with negative thoughts and suspicions and fears and conspiracy theories, then, then fear and mistrust are going to start to rule your life. And when good things happen, you'll find a way to negate it. Oh, that was just a fluke. That was a mistake. Or it won't last. Yeah, it may be good right now, but it's not going to last. See, someone who's a pessimist is robbed of the ability to enjoy the blessings and good things that come their way because in the back of their mind, they're just convinced. They know that it's not going to last. That blessing's not going to last. It's going to be gone. So what's the good of it? They just know that somehow someone or something is going to come along and ruin it for them. Experts will tell you that pessimists tend to view negative events as personal and as permanent. They view positive events as temporary. They know they just won't last. They're always thinking, when's the other shoe going to drop? 
Now, the Apostle Paul, he's a perfect example of an optimist, somebody who always saw the positive. In 2 Corinthians 11, and again, this isn't in your notes, but I want you to listen to this, because Paul describes some of the experiences that he, that he had been through. He says, I have been in prison, flogged, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. See, they were only allowed to give 40 lashes. So when they lashed someone, they would always count one less just in case they made a mistake in their counting. So, you know, five times, he says, I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones, three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Now, in my expert opinion, I would say that if anybody had a reason to be a pessimist, it would be the Apostle Paul. After going through that, I think he has earned the, to, the right to wear the pessimist badge, right? But instead, he was anything but negative. Look at what he said in Romans 8.18. He said, I consider that our present sufferings, in other words, what, all the stuff that he just listed off, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Something's coming and it's good. And anything we are going through now doesn't stand in comparison to it, is what he's saying. And the reason he could say that is because he learned to interpret his present circumstances through the lens of God's promises, through the lens of God's word. His present sufferings may have been between him and his final destination, where he was heading. But they never blocked his view of where he was heading. Like this plexiglass, it stands between me and you, all of you. But it doesn't block my view of you. See, and that's how Paul viewed his his present circumstances, uh, through the lens of God's promises, and and even though they stood behind Uh, or between him and his final destination, they never blocked his view of where he was going. Paul was the ultimate, even after all he had been through, he was the ultimate optimist. He knew the promises of God. He knew what God had done for him in the past, and therefore he was confident of what God was going to do for him in the future. See, the fact is, bad things happen to and in all of our lives. We, we, we can't escape it. Nothing's going to allow us to escape that. Bad things happen to and in all of our lives. And while there are things that we can do to avoid some of them, like a lifestyle, you know, it's, it, it's like, okay, so maybe there's some things in my life that are causing some of the issues. Sure, that's always the case. 
you know, and we change our lives, we can change uh, some of the things that happen. But, you know, the fact is we can't avoid all of the brokenness in this world. Things are going to happen in our lives that make our lives difficult. Bad things happen, we all struggle. But I've found that when I face my struggles with an attitude of faith, an attitude of trust, an attitude of hope, then I found that the struggle I'm in today is producing the strength that I need for tomorrow. The struggle I'm in today is producing the strength that I need tomorrow. And when you need strength, I want you to remember something. In Romans 8, verse 26, Paul tells us that the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. When we are weak, the Holy Spirit comes along and helps us. He does that in several ways. One of the ways, and it's one that honestly I think is neglected a lot, but one of those ways is he will help us in a situation, you know, that better been in the situation where you just don't know how to pray. There's a situation there maybe, you know, that a friend is going through or you're going through, and, and it's like I, I don't even know how to pray. Have you ever said that? I don't even know how to pray. That's a good time to use, if you have it, use your prayer language. And yes, I mean speaking in tongues, praying in tongues, praying in the Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit knows how to pray. And he can tell your spirit how to pray. And that's what happens when the Holy Spirit comes and, and you find yourself then praying. You start praying in a language that you do not know but that God understands, and it's just bypassing your mind. Sometimes our mind will just mess everything up, but it bypasses your mind, and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, tells your spirit how to pray at those times when we really don't have the words and don't know how to pray. And that is something that I want to tell you is available to every believer. And a lot of times we have difficulty before, difficulty with it because we don't understand it. It's like, now wait a minute. This sounds, this really sounds weird. This really sounds strange. We don't understand it. But you know, there's a lot of things about God I don't understand. All I know is that this is something His Word tells us. He has given it to us as a gift. And if he's given it to us as a gift, he wants us to use it. So I would say if you don't have a prayer language, then ask for one. Get before God and ask. And then continue to ask until you receive it. If you need to, do a study on it. And, and, and read books of different people's experiences. Different people's experiences are all different. You know, my experience is different than somebody else's. But when you read more people's experiences, you'll see that, yes, there are some similar, but there are also some that totally don't fit the mold of somebody else's. And that's because God is God. 
And this is, he works how he wants to work. So if you don't have it, ask for it. And, and, and don't give up asking. It's available to every believer because every believer has the Holy Spirit living inside of them. It's not that we get the Holy Spirit because we don't have, you know, if you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. This is just releasing the flow of his prayer through your spirit. And he will help you by praying through you and giving you the strength that you need at the moment you need it. So remember, when it seems that there's nothing but bad news, and when you're tempted to look at all the stuff that's wrong, whether it's world news or things going on in your own life, or you can stand on the truth of God's word that says, and we know, not we think, not we hope, not we're pretty sure, but we know that in all things, not some things, not most things, not a few things, not many things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And you never have to doubt, ever, never have to doubt his love for you. You never have to think, well, I know he loves the world. I know he loves everybody else. But I don't know if he loves me. If you're in the world, he loves you. You know, and even if some people tell you you're out of this world, he still loves you. Well, I thought that'd go over better. But <laughs> it was on the spot, you know. I can't always be. Anyway, the point is, you never have to doubt his love for you. Romans 8, verses 38 and 39, Paul says, I am convinced. I am convinced. There's no doubt about it. I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, some of you are convinced of the exact opposite of that. You think that when bad things happen, it's because God doesn't love you or God is mad at you. And that's a lie. You already stand in grace. You stand in his favor. It doesn't mean it approves of everything you do, but he's not out there waiting to zap you. He's out there calling, himself, calling you to himself and say, let me help you with this. Let me help you with this. This verse we just read, so, you know, that's as true for, for you as it was for the Apostle Paul when he wrote it. And we can be convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, the present nor the future, any powers, height nor depth, or anything else, else, anything else in all creation, that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He loves us. He loves you, and you never have to doubt it. You need to know that you can trust his love. His love for you is the reason he gave his life for you. It's the reason Christ rose from the dead. 
It's the reason that he offers to wipe away the guilt and shame of sin if you'll simply put your faith in him. If you'll believe what he's done for you, that Jesus went to the cross, laid down his life, he was buried, and then on the third day, he rose to life again. He rose from the grave to give you life. It's that simple. And if you've never accepted God's offer of forgiveness, if you walk away from your sin and put your faith in Jesus, then the offer, you know, then he will give you his forgiveness. That's, that's all it is. It's not just saying, well, yeah, I, I, I believe, you know, and then, and then just, you know, kind of an intellectual. It's, it's like, no, I'm trusting in that message. I'm trusting in that message. I'm believing in that message. I'm staking my life in that message. And Jesus, I believe that's, I, I, I believe you did that, and I believe you rose from the grave, and I'm asking you, cleanse me, forgive me, and help me to walk in you. It's that simple. We don't straighten up our lives first and do anything to earn it. We walk, we, we, we turn our back on our sin, and we put our faith in Jesus. That offer is there for every single one of us. And I know many of you have taken him up on that offer, but if you never have, then this is all you need to do. Just in your own words, just take a moment in your own words. Tell Jesus that you're done living for yourself and you want to live for him. Tell him you believe that he died and he rose from the dead. And then ask him to come in and take over your life. It's that simple. You can do it now before you leave. You can do it in your room at home. You can do it any time. But I would say the sooner the better. Let's stand. And I encourage you, if you take that step and you just pray that, then as soon as you do, tell someone. If you do that this morning, tell someone before you leave. If you do that at home, call somebody up and tell them. Let somebody know so that somebody can celebrate with you. And now, I'm going to give you this benediction. May God, our Father in heaven, fill you completely with his joy and peace as you trust in him. And may you overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We're going to go ahead and dismiss. I would remind you that if you brought your tithes and offerings this morning, you can go ahead and drop them in the black boxes uh, by the doors, or if you give electronically uh, uh, online, the website's up there. Just look for the give, uh, the give icon that, that shows up, and it'll walk you through it. Or mail a check to the church at P.O. Box 3277, uh, Bloomington, and 47402. Uh, but uh, go ahead and remember, we still have open on uh, our option for uh, giving to the roof fund above and beyond your tithe. If that is something you would like us to do, they're going to be doing the work very soon. If that is something that you would like to be a part of, uh, just mark your check or, or, or the drop-down box on the website. Uh, roof fund or just roof and and we'll know what it's for so god bless you go and have a great week and a safe holiday weekend and remember 
There are those who literally gave their lives so that we can do the things that we're doing today. Let's thank God for them. God bless.